Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Last week we talked about Hebrews chapter 11 and, and verse 6, and, and that's kind of part two of what we're going to talk about here today, because I love this verse, and this verse has messed with me over the last couple weeks, actually really the last couple months, and Hebrews 11 verse 6 says like this, without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and, they re- and that he will reward those who earnestly seek after him, and really on the onset of this, when we were thinking about this Siri, or when we really think about this scripture, one of the things that really came to my mind was this idea of the word seeking him. Because I think so many times we, we grew up in church and we've been around church so long that what we think of is seeking God is, is more prayer time. Or maybe it's more uh, service projects or it's more worship time, whatever that looks like for you. But that actual word there, seek, if you actually look at what he's trying to get at, what the writer's trying to tell us, it's this word involve. And the idea that we were getting at last week was that God wants you to involve him in everything that he's doing, in everything that you're doing, that in every aspect of your life, every walk of life that you're in, that you would involve God into that. It's not a four-hour Bible study. It's not a long uh, church service. It's that wherever you go in life, that you take God along with you, that you communicate with God, that you stay with God in all of those things. That we don't compartmentalize God and we just make him one segment of the day. Like it's our quiet time or our devotion time. That's not just where we put God, but we put him throughout the rest of our day in the boardroom, in the bathroom, in the field, on, in the car. Whatever that looks like, that God comes with you wherever you go. And don't get me wrong, I do believe that there is a discipline to your relationship with the Lord. Where you sit down and, and you map out a time, your quiet time, your devotional time, whatever that looks like for you. I think that's good and I think that's healthy, but again, it's the idea of... Seeking after God is that you walk with him in everything that you do. That as you're going to Walmart, as you're in the car, that you're reminding yourselves of him, that you're praying to him, that you're thinking about him. Now, have you ever had that really, like, that long day, that really long kind of bad day where everything feels like it's just not working out? Like, you get in the car, you're going to work, maybe, maybe your alarm didn't go off, that's always my wife's excuse, and, and you get in the car, and you start driving down the road, and then you hit traffic, and then you're in Tulsa traffic, so you're angry, and you, re- you kind of remember that, you know, you, you have a gun with you, and so you're kind of thinking about what you're going to do with that gun, but you're like, I shouldn't kill somebody today, but you're driving, and people are cutting you off, and then you get to work, and then, I don't know about you, but I'm not a morning person, and so you have that really cheery, like that secretary that's really excited, and they want to talk to you in the morning and you just like you remind yourself of that gun that was in the car at that moment because you just don't want to you don't want to talk to anybody and then you go to your desk and and you have the coffee on your desk and and you're and and you're like I got to get caffeinated but something happens and you spill it all over you see you know what those days are and maybe the worst is you you open up your email and the email just starts flooding in and then and then you get maybe this email that says per my last email anyone ever got that email I need you to know right up front, if you send that email to me, I've already deleted it because I don't care at that point, all right? But you get that email, and you're angry, and then you're just kind of sitting there, and you don't know what's happening around you. You feel defeated. You walk to your car, you turn your car on, and you head home. And have you ever got to your house? Like, you ever got in your car, and as you're driving, you just kind of realize that you just got home? Like, you didn't even realize the drive that you took there. You don't know how. Like, you didn't know what happened. You were just kind of on autopilot. That's... That's kind of like, I think, in some of our lives, that's kind of how we look at prayer. That when we get into prayer, sometimes we just get on the autopilot. 
even when we come to church here, sometimes we just get on autopilot. We know what we're about to do. We know what's going to happen. We know we're going to sing three songs. We know we're going to have this. We know that. And we kind of get into this rhythm of autopilot. And I think for a lot of us, whenever we want to involve God into our life, this is where we start getting distracted. This is where it starts getting difficult. And really, more specifically, if you're going to involve God in your life, it involves prayer. And if you think about it, I know that we're all seasoned, awesome Christians in this room. But if you're going to be honest, why is prayer really difficult for us? Right? Like, why is it hard? And, and maybe you've been saved for years and years and years, and you can sit here and tell me that prayer is not hard for you, and, and, and I'm, I'm jealous of you in that. But for the majority, I think, of most Christians, especially in America, prayer is one of the toughest things in the world for us to do. There's a, probably a couple reasons. We're a very fast-paced culture, and prayer is not very fast-paced. But why is it really so difficult for us? Today, when we talk about involving God, like Hebrews 6 tells us to do, what I want to talk about is prayer and how we can work with God in that. And, and for some of us, I think some of us, you need to understand how really to pray to God. Not the prayers that we heard as kids, but how do I personally pray to God? And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. And this portion of scripture, I love this part. And it's the disciples, and, and they're talking to Jesus. And I want you to think about this for a second. The disciples who were the closest people to Jesus, they were with him day and night, in and out. They were always with Jesus. They come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Like, I think that should give us a little bit of comfort because if the disciples who knew Jesus didn't know how to do this, then maybe you and I, maybe it's okay that maybe we struggle a little bit here. And so we're going to get into the Lord's Prayer. And again, this is kind of weird because it's really not the Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. He gives it to them. But we're going to read this prayer and talk about this. And I want you to know on the onset that this prayer is just a roadmap. It's not like you have to pray this prayer. He's not telling me you have to pray this prayer word for word. There's denominations that this is the prayer that they pray. But that's not what Jesus was getting at at all. He's giving them a roadmap. He's giving them a template that they can work through. And he's not telling them that this prayer is the only prayer that they can pray. He's not telling them that he only hears this prayer. He's telling them that this prayer right here, this will help instruct you on how you should begin to pray. So if you would, I'm just going to read this prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says like this. This then is how you should pray. This is Jesus talking. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me tell you why this prayer is so crazy. This prayer is an, a complete assault on our human nature. Like every bit of this prayer goes against who we are. Your kingdom come, your will be done. No, I, I want my kingdom to come. I want my will to be done, right? This is an, a complete assault on what we want, but isn't prayer sometimes that? That it changes our perspective and changes who we are? And so what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is I just want to break down this prayer and talk about what he's saying in each part of this prayer and how that affects you and I. Again, this is a template. Doesn't mean you have to pray this way, but it, give, it does give you a, a kind of roadmap on how we can pray. Are you guys with me right now? We good? All right, here we go. First part he says here is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I know in this room there's a lot of us that maybe we, we grew up with a, a really, really good father, or, or maybe we grew up with a really, really bad father. But I was just kind of reading some stuff this week about just when I was preparing for this, and, and these, these psychologists talk about that. Every single person 
has some version of daddy wounds in their life. Doesn't matter if you had a good father or a bad father, we all struggle with some version of that. Things about a, things about a present father or a, or a father that wasn't present. Things that they hurt you with, things that they, they didn't mean to hurt you with. But in this part, he starts it out in such an interesting way. He says, our father. I want you to think about every other major religion that you know of. Because every other major religion, you have to come into this holy, you have to have this holy speak. You have to say these holy big names. But Jesus says, here's how you should pray. You should say, Father, Dad, my Father, our Father. And I think this is incredible because if you look at Genesis chapter 1, the writer in Genesis chapter 1, this is a crazy part of how, how they write it. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And if you go through that chapter, it keeps saying, God created, God created, God created, God created. But if you go to Genesis chapter 2, it gets a little different. See, in the first part, it says God, 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 God. But in the second part, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 4, it says like this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. I'm going to read it again. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. They added one extra word here, and it was the word Lord. And there's a shifting here that they're trying to get at. Why do they put Lord God here? And the reason is, chapter 1, the, the word God is this word Elohim, this great, powerful God Almighty, this huge God, this God that controls countries and continents, cosmos, this God that controls everything around us, this God that breathed life into Adam, this God that did everything around us, this God that if you look at any kind of speck of dust in the air, it's he that put it there. This God who has so much detail, you know the Bible tells us that he's named every single star that's in the entire universe, like it's this God, this great and mighty powerful God, this God that you and I, if we got into his presence, we would get face down on our face, like we would be so scared to be around him. The Bible tells us in, in the book of Isaiah that Isaiah came into the throne room and that he saw God, and when he saw God, he started weeping and he started repenting because he said, I'm undone. I can't be in the presence of God. The Bible tells us that Moses, he was in the very presence of God, and he had to walk down the mountain and put a, a veil over his face because if he didn't, he would blind everyone around him because the glory of God radiated so much off of his face. It's this God. The book of Revelations tells us that there's no need for light in heaven because his glory will shine everything out. It's this great and massive God. Well, he's talking about who created it, but then they added this word Lord, and that, Lord, that word Lord, that's different. The word Lord in chapter 2 of Genesis is really the personal name of God. It's the name Yahweh. And this version, the Lord God, Lord right there, what he's trying to get at is a personal God, a God that knows you and I. This is the Father part of God. You see, you still have God Almighty, but now you have Yahweh, the personal God, the one who knows you, the one who understands you. The Bible tells us that he has every hair on your head counted out, that he knows every tear that you've ever cried. The personal God that understands those things inside of you that no one else understands. The personal God that when you're sitting in bed and you're alone and you're crying and no one else knows about it, he knows about it. The personal God that understands where you are today and understands where you're going tomorrow. The personal God who's over you and loves you. The personal God who understands that even though you may be wicked in some ways. He still loves even those bad parts of you, and he loves those good parts of you. It's a personal God. So you have God Almighty and the Father God, and it's this convergence of that. And I love in this chapter, in this prayer that he starts it out that way, he says, our Father, our God, the one who is above us, 
and yet still knows it. A father. I don't know what your dad looked like. I don't know what your life was like, but it's the God who understands you and knows you. And can I do, I mean, I, he loves you in your good days and in your bad days. Like, we don't, I hear teenagers do this a lot, and if teenagers do, I know adults do it. Like, man, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I can come to God right now because, man, I really had a bad week. Do you understand that God stands outside of time? Time's not even a construct in his own mind. He doesn't have to deal with that. Time's something that you and I have to do. So you might have a bad week, but God sees your whole entire life, and he still loves that, right? Like, we don't have to, we don't have to live in this version of, man, if I just do enough, he'll love me. No, he loves you today. This past week, we, um, Cass and I went to the hospital, and we had to, get another ultrasound. We were changing some doctors and stuff around. And so the first time we got an ultrasound, that was, that was incredible. It was this awesome moment of like, I'm seeing for the first time. I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't even know what an ultrasound was, okay? And so we go sit in this room and they start doing things and I'm, I'm weirded out. And, and then all of a sudden the doctor says, hey, there's a baby right there. And in that moment, everything shifted inside of me. I haven't even met the child. And there's already a love inside of me. Think about the Father who loves the deepest parts of you. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Really, the, the phrasing there is holy is your name. Holy means to be set apart. That God as our Father is different than the earthly Father. That God as our Father, he's not exhausted, right? He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get worried. He doesn't get scornful. He's not destructive. He stays the same. This is a call to God saying, God, I know that you never change. I know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our Father my Father in heaven, holy is your name. When we approach God, that's the first way we do that. Telling him, worshiping him, reminding yourselves of his character. And then he keeps going on. He goes like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is, this is a very controversial part of the prayer. Because again, I think a lot of us, we want our kingdom to come. We want our will to be done. And so I'm going to say something here that's going to shock you, and I hope, you're, I hope you're ready. I hope you're sitting down. I think a lot of times when people think about the staff at Hillspring Church, a lot of times I, I'm assuming most of you think that from the hours of 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, we're on our knees praying, intercessory prayers and praying for you guys and just weeping and fasting on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and, and just hoping and praying, you know, just you probably think that's what we do. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's what I do, but the rest of the staff... <laughs> They're heathens and pagans, and, and they're bad. But, that, but realistically, a lot of times, if you come in the office, there's going to be a lot of laughter, a lot of joking around. And you have Pastor Brent, Pastor Joe, Pastor Will, and I in the office. And to be honest, most of us, all of us, think we're all alpha males. And um, I'm the only one that is, by the way. But... Pastor John's smart enough to, to not even try to get into those conversations. But one day I was talking to Joe, and we were telling stories, and Joe was telling me, and I hope I don't make his life bad right now, but Joe was telling me that Debbie was mad at him because he was really wanting to go fish again. And maybe he'd been on a kind of long streak of fishing. And me, being the alpha male that I am, I said, well, Joe, aren't you the man of the house? Aren't you the head of the table? Aren't you, the, the Bible says that you're over your, like that's you, you should, you should go tell her that you're gonna do what you wanna do, that you're gonna go fish if you want to. You should go tell her you're the head of the house and my decision's final and you can do nothing about it. 
And I'll never forget what Joe told me. Joe said, you know what, Matt, here's the truth. I am the head of the house. I am. But Debbie's the neck that moves that head of the house around <laughs> and tells us where to go. I thought that's probably, that's probably good advice. That's, that probably should work. This portion of the prayer was given us by Jesus to remind ourselves that we need God's will over our own lives. That, and I'm truly convinced of this, that if I were God and I knew everything that was gonna happen, if I were God and I knew every detail of every moment of my own life, that every prayer that I prayed, I'd probably answer it the same way God did. Why, because God knows what's best for us. God knows way more what's best for us than we know. He understands where this whole thing's going. And I've come into prayer many times trying to convince God of my reasoning, why I want what I want, why I need what I want. And he reminds me all the time, it's not my will, but his will that needs to be done. Prayer isn't about bending God's will to our own, but it's about aligning our will to God's. And that's one of the hardest parts of prayer. So what's God's will? There's a bunch of them, but you know what he says here? This is, I love this scripture. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He, his his will for most of us is that his kingdom would come and that earth would look a lot more like heaven. It's the prayer to be courageous, to do God's will, to go and bring people into the fold, to go out into the areas that we live in and bring them to church, to get them saved, to get them to see them know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose and to make a difference. That's God's will is that he would bring heaven and earth more closer together. And that's through you and I. And, and I say this not because, again, we're never going to be a number-driven church, but an empty chair, I say this in youth all the time, an empty chair is a really big deal. Because there's someone out there that needs to be here. There's someone out there that needs to know who Jesus is. And by the way, it's not going to be Pastor Brent bringing them in. It's going to be you and me in every area that we're in. So maybe your will be done is us not looking at our softball teams or our baseball teams as just a way to get our kids athletic, but maybe it's a way for us to go and show Jesus to them. They would come into a place like this and bend their knee to the cross and believe that God can change their life. Maybe, maybe your break room isn't really a break room. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to go and show Jesus to every single person around you. I tell teenagers this all the time, but it's the truth about you as well. You and I, I don't know what your vocation is, but you're a missionary first. You're a missionary first. And I could use that scripture that Jesus says where he says, if you deny me in front of men, I'll deny you in front of my father, but I won't do that right now. And so let's keep going. The next part of prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Today. I think so many times we get focused on what's happening tomorrow or what happened last week or yesterday that we rob God of the gratitude he deserves today. The Bible tells us that. We shouldn't even say, well, if we, if we go here tomorrow, it's just say, if it's God's will, that we should go here tomorrow because you, you know why? You don't determine what tomorrow is. God does. It could all be done today. It could all be done right now. Wouldn't that be freaky if it just happened? But God's will, and it's God's decision what happens so give me today, just give me today, not tomorrow, give me today. He says, give me today our daily bread for my gluten intolerant people. I know that's tough on you, but it's really just saying, give me, give me today my daily bread. Give me what I need. 
in this office, we have, a, we, we have a day school, and my nephews are in this school. And this summertime, they, they're always running around. And every day, they come into my office, and, and they, they actually even know what part of my desk has candy in it. And they understand that Uncle Matt's kind of hefty, and so he likes to eat candy throughout the day. And so they, they run in there, and they, they open it up, and they say, Uncle Matt, can, can I get some candy? As they already have their hands full of candy. But I love that they ask, because they know they can come and ask. This is a call to you and I to say, hey, you can ask God for the things that you need. You can go to him and say, God, I'm really struggling with this. Will you, will you help me? God, I, like, so many of us, I think we get into this mindset of, well, I don't want to bother God with this part of my life. Like, I don't want him to know about this part. But if we go back to that, that section of involving God in our life, God wants to know about those things. Not that he doesn't know, but he wants you to care along with him. And so bringing those things to God, give us today our daily bread. The next one here is forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This one's always kind of weird because some people put in the word transgressions and, and it gets really weird if you're praying it out loud. I remember we were in Mission Arlington one year and we circled up and this is right when I got saved and so I didn't really understand the whole church Christian thing and we circled up and I don't know if you've been in church a long time but there are rules when you pray in a circle. And some of the rules are that the person starts, and then you, you squeeze the person's hand, and then they go, and then they squeeze the hand, they go, and it goes around. And you don't get out of order at all, all right? You don't even try, or, or that's the unpardonable sin. And, and so you get there, and I remember we were praying this prayer together, and, and someone said transgressions, and I didn't understand anything of what that meant. And I always stuck in my head, I didn't understand what it meant, and then I read this version of it, and it's really true. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a twofold prayer. It calls us to ask for forgiveness of our own sins and then forgive other people. I love the story in Matthew chapter 9. There's these men, they bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus saw their faith and he looked at him and says, Your sins are forgiven. That's a huge theological mess if you think about it. These guys bring a man in, they see their faith, and he looks at the man laying on the mat that's paralyzed and says, Hey, your sins are forgiven. It's crazy. But as the story goes, there's some Pharisees and religious leaders, and they're, and they're standing there, and they're thinking in their mind, who is this man? Who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? And the Bible tells us that Jesus answers their thoughts out loud. That's, that's nuts in itself. And he says to them, which is easier to say? Take up your mat and walk, or your sins are forgiven. He says, but I'm going to show you that I can forgive sins by doing the lesser of things. And he looks at the guy and says, get up, stand up, and walk. The idea here is that in all of our lives, the greatest thing that God could do for you is not give you a miracle. The greatest thing that God could do for you is not just help you out of a financial situation. The greatest thing that God could do for you is not help you to find the right person for your life. The greatest thing God ever has done for you is that he's forgiven you. But there's a spiritual condition inside of each and every one of us that's broken. And that he forgave us of those things. It's not that you would get up and walk is that the lesser of these things is that you would get up and walk it. The greater is that he's forgiven your sins, that he calls you away from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that who the Son has set free is free indeed. And when the forgiveness of God becomes a central part of your life, it really allows you to begin to forgive other people. So today, this isn't, this isn't fun, this isn't easy, but today, when we talk about forgiveness, this is, this is where you and I are. Because so many of us, We've tied people up into this prison 
We said, well, I'll forgive them when, when they beg for it. I'll forgive them, but whenever, whenever it's time for me to heal from it. We, we, we get in those mindsets. But the Bible tells us that he freely forgave you, and so you freely give forgiveness. Not on you. Through God that's forgiven you. And when you focus on yourself, yeah, you don't have it inside yourself to forgive, but when you focus on how Jesus forgave you, it makes it a lot easier to forgive other people. You're never, ever gonna be more like God than when you forgive other people. Whatever prison you put people in of unforgiveness, today could be the day that you let that go. And the last part of this, part of this prayer, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the Lord put on my heart a few few months ago, really in March, Will and I went to Arizona to scout out the trip that we actually did in, in June. We were up in Arizona at this Indian reservation, and, and it, was, it was awesome, it was incredible, but I don't know if you know, but Arizona's elevation is really, really, really high. And, and I, was, I was over there, and we were walking around, and I was just getting like straight up winded, all right? It was, it was, not, it was not working out, and, and Will and I, and Will Will's runs all the time, and, and and I will say I was doing better than he was, but we were, uh, I'm just kidding, but we were walking up hills and all this stuff, and I was, it was just like exhausting. And around that time, it was about March or so that we went, I was tipping the scales about 370. I was close to 370 pounds. And I thought, well, this has got to change. Something's got to get fixed here. And so just through some prayer, and actually it was a lot of prayer, and just through some other things that I, I had done, I, I tried to start losing some weight. I started dieting. I don't know if you guys know about how much dieting is horrible, but uh, I thought, okay, I, I've done every diet that there is in, in humanity. So if you, like, I've done low carb, and I don't know if anyone's ever done low carb, but it's basically get your favorite fruit and throw it in the trash, all right? Don't even, don't even try. I've, I've done low calorie. I've done everything else, and, and I just got into this mindset of, man, I just want to I I give God every decision of my life. And even those macro levels of just sitting down at a restaurant and eating or sitting and eating, I just want to give God those decisions. So we started praying through and working through that. And, and I decided that by the time I got back on that mission trip, I'd want to lose at least 25 pounds. That was my goal. And, and that, was, that was the heart of it. And, and I'm not trying to brag, but when I got to that mission trip, I hadn't lost that 25 pounds. And, and I, I was really, really excited about that. But there is this one problem. And it's um, Mexican restaurants. Um, um, I'm convinced that the devil runs a lot of those places. This idea of just constantly bringing me chips is very dangerous. And, and so whenever we go, like I, I, the, the temptation, and I'm just gonna be honest with you, I don't care who you are. If you sit down with me, I will dominate that table. And so whatever you bring, it will be mine. But the temptation to just to, to unload and, and eat everything right there is, is, is that. But on a, on a much bigger level, this is what he's saying. Lord, protect me from me. Lord, protect me from going into those places that have broken me in the past. Lord, protect me from doing those things that I know are wrong, but I keep going to them. Protect me from those things that, even though if I think, man, I'm going to do better today, but when I get there, I fall apart. Lord, protect me from that. Help me. Lead me not in temptation. Get me away from it, God. If it means that you have to give me the strength just to make it through this relationship, do whatever you have to do. God, get me away from this. 
Your temptations are always birthed out of your feelings, your emotions, your fear, your lust, your panic, your pain, whatever that looks like for you. And this is a prayer saying, Father, my Father, our Father, lead me away from those things that bring me down and lead me towards those things that bring me closer to you. See, when you follow your feelings instead of your Father, I promise you this, it always, always, always ends in your failure. It never goes good for you. So don't lead that way. Don't follow that way. You have to make a decision. Father, lead me away from those things that break me. I don't know what it is in your life, but you do. And I know what it is in my life. Lead me from those things. Some translations add at the end of this prayer, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The funny thing about that word amen, by the way, is that if you go to almost any country in the world and you pray at the end of every prayer, every Christian prayer, almost every single country, you're most likely to hear the word amen. That, that word doesn't get translated in any different languages. It might be because when the Greeks took the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they put it together, they took the Hebrew word, which was amen, and they brought it over. Amen is this phrase that means just let it be, that when I get done praying, whatever it is that I'm praying for, God, just let it be. Let it be so. God, I'm putting in your hands that you're going to take it because it's, it's yours. Yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. It's yours. Amen. And I think so many times, though, the problem that we get into is that when we end a prayer and we're done and we say all those things that we need to tell God and we, we ask him for things that we need to ask for, that when we say amen, a lot of times it's hard for us because there's been times in the past that we've asked God for things and he just didn't do it. Right? But there's been times that I prayed for something, man, I prayed for someone to be healed and he just didn't do it. And that's, I think, where we struggle. These unanswered prayers. The prayers that really... At the end of it, it just seems like God doesn't care about us. I think this is, for so many of us, why prayer is so difficult. Because the center in the heart of our, the center in the heart of who we are is, does God really care about the things that I'm praying about? It reminds me of the story that Jesus told. He, he talks about a judge, and there's a, there's a, and they call it the unjust judge, but he's a judge, and this judge comes to court every day, and does what he does. He, he does the trials, and he rules over, and he gives judgments, all of these different things. And at the end of every day, there's a woman who runs in there. The Bible tells us it's a widow. And someone, someone hurt her. Someone did something bad to her. The Bible says that when the judge is done, the woman comes in and says, hey, can I have a second of your time? And the judge, no, go away, go away. Day two, the judge does the same thing. Comes in there, does all of the ruling, all the judgment. And the widow comes back, says, hey, can, I need a second of your time. Go away. Day three, day four, day five. It happens over and over and over and over again for weeks, months. We don't know how long it happens. And the Bible tells us that that judge finally is so beaten down by this woman that keeps coming back day after day after day after day. They says, okay, finally, whatever you need, just take it. And he rules in her favor. And he gives her the things that she needs. Jesus tells them this story to remind them to never stop praying. So there's this weird part of the scripture that God just is basically saying, hey, bother me. Like, whatever you've been praying for that you didn't get, just keep coming to me. Keep bothering me with it. In the book of Isaiah, it tells a story. God says, I'm gonna put my watchmen on the tower that day and night that they would just call out to me, that they would remind me, that they would just holler at me, that I would put my eye towards them. It's this idea that no matter what you've been praying for, the Bible says if you ask, 
If you seek and if you knock, just keep doing it. Don't give up. I've heard some pastors before say, well, you need to pray and then just let it go. Let God handle it from there. And, and, and respectfully, I think the scriptures tell us, no, you need to pray and then keep praying. Keep going back over and over and over and saying, hey, God, where, where are you at? Because so many of us, our relationship with God, we don't take him the things that we want. We're like, God, are you, are you busy? Are you busy? Okay, good. I'm, I'm going to walk I'll, I'll come back later. This widow was bold and brave kept walking in and saying, hey, I need a moment. Hey, remember that thing I told you about? Remember that thing I asked you about? Remember how I said, man, I really have a lot of, of social anxiety and it really, I struggle with it. Can you help me with that? And it didn't happen that day. So he comes back the next day and says the same thing. It's that idea of persistence, keeping going, involving God, reminding God, not that he's forgotten, not that he doesn't care, that he's just waiting for you to care with him. Involving him. Going towards him. So here's what I want to do. This is going to be different. It's going to be weird. But I think it'll be all right. I want us to take a second to pray together. So, I, I believe that there's a place of prayer. Like, I, for me, just practically, I know that I can't pray while, like if I get up in the morning and I'm gonna start praying, I know I can't pray while I'm lying in bed because I'll fall back asleep. I have to get up, I have to go somewhere else. So there's a place of prayer. I think there's a plan to prayer. That's what, what this was. Right? He gave him a roadmap, a plan on how to pray, but I also think there's a posture of prayer. Not that you have to always pray this way, but there's something about this. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask all of us in this room your chair, if you're able, I'm going to ask you, we pray together that we would just take a knee here, wherever it is for you. I, I know this is weird and awkward, and how do we do this? And, but it's pretty simple. Would you do this, okay? At your place. There you go. There you go. Second service is going to love this. All across this room. I want to pray these, this prayer one more time. And I want us to hear it. But we need to hear it today. Not as just words on a page, but the truth of God. Everyone said bowed and eyes closed. Here we go. Our Father, my Father in heaven, holy is your name. And changing is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine, but yours. Whatever decision is in your life right now that you know God's told you no on, release that to him and say, God, it's your will. Whatever decision that you're saying, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that ministry. I don't want to do that business. I don't want to do that thing you've called me to do. Let's lay our nose on the table. Say, God, you can have it kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let us be missionaries. Let us run out into the places that we're at. God, your word says in Deuteronomy that every place we put our feet to, you're going to give it to us. God, we're praying for our companies that we're in. We're praying for the businesses that we own. We're praying for the people that we work with, God. That God, through us, you would help us to be a light, a 
a city on a hill, a gathering place, a city of refuge. God, that people would come to know us. Lord, I pray right now that you put the three people in our mind that we know we need to tell them about Jesus. Right now, God, whoever that is in our schools, in our jobs, God, I know what my calendar says tomorrow. Give me today. Daily bread, God, give me what I need. Not what I want, but what I need. Forgive us our debts. God, I think of you on a cross, nailed to a cross, suffocating, whipped and beaten. My forgiveness. And God, because of that, as you're, saying, as you're on a cross, can you say, forgive those that were hurting you, God? I pray that you'd help me to have that same spirit of forgiving those who've hurt me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. God, keep me from the things that hurt me. Keep me from the things that break me. Keep me from the things that don't honor you. Keep me from those things that I know culture says are okay, but God, we know your word says are not. God, deliver us from the evil. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory. Forever and ever. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.